Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Church, I just want to see who's in the room right now. Who has Jesus brought through some stuff? Raise your hand, clap, praise God, whatever you want to do, clap. It's good. It's good. Jesus has brought you through some stuff. You know what? Every time Jesus brings me through some stuff or I watch him bring people through some stuff, just know that that's just grace upon grace upon grace. And we live by the grace of God. Amen. We are faith. The Christian faith is one of sustaining grace in Jesus sustains us. If you are brand new to Calvary, you're just maybe tuning in or you're in the room for the very first time, you've kind of joined us in actually at the very last part of of a series. It's kind of like the end of the movie and you just came in and maybe you're in line for popcorn. It took too long and you're like, all right, now what do I do? I watch the movie again. You don't have to. I'm going to catch you up really fast. And this is week five in a series that's taken me about seven weeks because I was out of town. So there's some people who miss some things. First week we talked about is this irresistible love. I connected this irresistible love to an 80s love song. I really did. You ought to listen to that message. But I said it's so much better than that. It's an irresistible love rooted in God and that God loves us. And because he loves us, we need to love other people the way that he loves us. Not the the way that we feel love, but the way that he actually loves also, I talked about how the fact that, that when the, the church began, they, they began with a movement. They were all on mission together. They, they were done with the purposeless life of just kind of meandering and wondering what to do. God had lined them up and straightened them out and sent them on mission. And he said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are the fulfillment of that promise from from Acts, right when the church started, like because they had this mission and they took it serious. Also, it wasn't just them just trying to white-knuckle life and just move on. Instead, in order to fulfill the purpose that God had, he had empowered them with the Holy Spirit to be able to do these things. So they're now just, they have a love. They also are on mission. They have a power. And then last week I talked about how there's, or there's a relational side of it. They were just, they saw each other differently. They saw each other differently. They didn't just see one another as a commodity. They also didn't see one another as somebody to compare themselves to. Instead, who they, who they are and who they were is they were connected and rooted into the love of God. So they were loved and accepted by God. So they didn't have to perform to receive that love. They just lived in it. And now we're going to finish out this series. I told you, if you missed anything, you're all caught up. And some of you are like, why did I come for those sermons? I could have got, right, got it all right there. But... In week five today, we're going to talk about the idea of irresistible generosity, irresistible generosity, some things that brought them in, but it didn't begin with with generosity. Instead, it began with God, and then it came out that way. So the three main points that we'll rally around today, if you're taking notes, you have an ability to take notes. Some of you love this. Some of you hate this. That's okay. Doesn't matter. I give those for you every week anyway. So there's three main things you can write down here if you're going to take notes. Maybe to keep you from falling asleep. I'm going to do my part. Maybe you need to do your part. I don't know. But we are in this series, and we're going to talk uh, about a, some amazing things that God did in Acts 4. But first, I want to start with Forrest Gump. That was a weird transition, wasn't it? <laughs> I got your attention, though, so it worked. 
It's one of my favorite movies. It's one of my favorite movies because it has an awesome soundtrack, for one. And then also because it's just this, it, over the span of time that's, that's encapsulated in that long movie, is there's just some amazing things that you just see Forrest Gump meandering through life. He seems to be very gullible, does he not? He just seems to be so gullible, but yet he's not caught up in whatever else is going on around him. He's just living his life. And the way that that movie is written, it's just profound to me, is they just show the, the full storyline of his life all the way through. And he just has this little bit of na- you know, naivety. Maybe it's a lot. And he's just a little bit gullible, but yet through the storyline of his life, the thing that you will see, and now if you ever watch it, watch it on television, not on some paid service, watch it on television, it's the cleaner version. But here's the thing, when you watch it on television, what you're going to see is this, you're going to see now, I hope that you start to see the grace that is involved in that movie. Because instead of just seeing it as just some, maybe somebody who's just kind of an idiot or whatever, however you look at that, just so gullible, like doesn't have a clue, meandering through life and all this stuff's going on and you're like, seriously, how could you be that dumb? Instead, look at it from this, from this perspective. There's so much grace that he pours out to people who don't deserve it, but that's what grace is. There's just so much grace that he pours out that even although he's, he's raised with a little bit of wit from his mom and yet he takes that off in it, into life and people around him are saying all kinds of things about him, but what does he do? He just kind of lives his life and he doesn't return evil with evil. Instead, he returns evil with good. You, you look at it, Jenny, his, his love interest in the movie and who is completely oblivious to herself and she's so fractured and she's out, so out of control and she knows that she loves him and he loves her and although she is completely like wild and although she completely is, is irrelevant to him and not faithful to him, He loves her all the way through, shows her grace, even when she's doing wrong things, which culminates in their child. And then he just gives that same little bit of wit that he learned from his mom into his child. You even see this with Lieutenant Dan, don't you? Lieutenant Dan does not like him whatsoever. You know this. Um, I just want you to know, Lieutenant Dan actually has his legs. I want you to know this. They did a really good job in the movie, but he does have legs. But Lieutenant Dan, in in that movie, he's just so mean to Forrest. But what does Forrest do at the end of that? He gives him grace and then gives him an opportunity and he talks to him with the same respect that he gave him whenever he was in the service. And then he also talked with him and then respected him enough to make him a multimillionaire. Roland, I just spoiled the movie, didn't I? You see, we change the way we can, we can even look at movies and change the way that we see them instead of just seeing them from a narrow way. It's actually a lot more broad, and there's so much grace in that movie. That's the reason why I like Forrest Gump, too, is because you see so many people who don't deserve kindness, but they get it. And maybe that just connects with our faith story because that's what grace is in the grace of God, that God would give us something that we don't deserve, that God would... That the, that the Father and the Son and then the Spirit would work together, that, that the Son would descend and that He would live a perfect life. He would be born a virgin, but He would live a perfect life and that He would take the weight of the sins upon Himself. Not because of something that we've done other than our sins, the reason why He had to come, but isn't because we earned it. It's just because He's a God of grace and He's a God of, of mercy and He's a God of love. This is what is bringing the early church together. They weren't so caught up with all the peripheral things. Instead, it was very central to their life, the the love and grace of God. And we're going to see how this culminates 
in Acts 4.32, beginning in verse 32. Peter had, had stood up and he had delivered a message. And he, it was a very powerful message. And it got the people's attention, so much attention that he was actually thrown in jail. He and John, and after their release, they prayed in the whole place where, where they were meeting was shaking. And it says this in verse 31 of Acts 4. It says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That the power of God was spoken of Peter and John. They were imprisoned. The, the prison, when they're speaking, is shaking. Then they're thrown into prison. They're released after the shaking happens. And then people are getting saved and they're speaking the word of God boldly. Here's what happens after that. Verse 32 through 37. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much, what's the next word? Somebody tell me. Grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them from time to time. Those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. First thing that we'll see in this passage is we see grace unleashed. Grace unleashed. It says in verse 32 that all believer, all the believers were in one heart and mind. The, the grace was released and they're starting to experience something. The word of God has been spoken boldly. The spirit of God is being released. And now things to them are becoming so narrow and their attention is put on God and of the things of God. But the way that that is felt is through grace. It's the unmerited gift of God. Meaning that there's grace is this, that grace is the gift of salvation from God to people. Not because of something they've done, not because of something that they could have earned. Instead, there's nothing they could have done. All of our righteousness is a filthy rags, is what it says in the Old Testament. There's nothing that we could have done to earn the grace of God. Nothing. That's the good news. Because that means we don't have to try to earn God's favor. Instead, we too can come to terms with what Paul wrote in Ephesians 2. That it is by grace that you're saved through faith. Talking about it's a gift from God. Not from our works. Oh church, there's some of us who aren't caught into this yet. We, we haven't caught up to the reality of this. Even some safe folks in the room or maybe listening online right now are, are, are a little confused in this because maybe there was a moment that you got saved but you've yet been convinced by the devil, by the lies that now you have to, to keep serving, to keep earning the salvation that you could have never earned in the, in the first place. This is the good news about grace. The grace that they're experiencing here is being unleashed. We see it in verse 32 and 33. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. Notice there's a connection with belief. There's a connection with belief, grace, and generosity. We're getting to this. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. 
With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. I know. The idea of grace sounds too good to be true. Let me tell you some other things that are too good to be true. These two words, I'll put them together. Short sermon. That's too good to be true. It's not happening today. It's not. We're going to be here a while. I'm passionate. I'm fired up. Hopefully you are too. That's not happening today. Also, some things that are not, things are too good to be true. When I was literally studying for this message, I was listening to just a YouTube channel of worship music, and this ad came on because I don't pay for it, so you get all the ads. Anybody sick of those ads, by the way? Oh, they wear me out. This ad was laughable. It actually got my attention. Most of them don't. It, it, it was an ad that if I would just, just buy this certain training that I could learn how to play guitar in 10 days, I was like, yo, bro, this is going to take a little bit more than 10 days for me to learn to play guitar. I've tried, and I failed, and got rid of that guitar. That's why. It was too good to be true. Also, when a, when a Nigerian prince offers you an investment opportunity, right? It's too good to be true. There's a lot of good people have been taken down by that little bit of fraud. Listen to me again. No Nigerian prince has anything worth you investing in. He's, somebody's trying to invest in their future, not yours, Okay? Um, early retirement also is something that's too good to be true for a lot of people. Um, here's one that's going to hit all of us. Lower taxes. Sorry. I had, to, I had to say it. I know. Now I'm not making friends. I'm going to get back to the point, though, I promise. You see, we look at this, and when we look at verse 32 specifically, and it says, all the believers were together. They were together. Or excuse me, it says that in another passage. All the believers were in one heart and mind, which means together, but They were of one heart and one mind. You may look at that and say, well, that's just too good to be true. Actually, this was something that Jesus talked about beforehand. Jesus actually prophesied that this would happen to the people of God. Let me share with you this. Two different references. One comes by John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus said this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is pointing to a future reality. Because the rules of the Old Testament were not fulfilling God's ultimate plan. So grace had to be unleashed. There's another passage in John 17. What's amazing about John 17, you ought to read it for yourselves, There's three different prayers within this long chapter. The first thing Jesus prays for is himself. The second thing Jesus prays for is his his disciples at that time. And then who he prays for next is us and people like us who would would continue uh, the faith after the believers. So this is what it says, Jesus himself. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, but also for those who would believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. This is what Jesus was talking about. It's not too good to be true. This is what Jesus said would happen. This is 
what Jesus prayed about happening, and this is what has happened and what will happen. The believers were together in heart and in mind. Notice in verse 33, go back to the passage. It says this, With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord, and much grace was on them all. You see, one of the central messages that the, that the apostles talked about in the book of Acts is the resurrection of Jesus. Let me just give you a couple reference points with this, and I'm not going to give you time to flip there, but I'm, I'm just going to just allow this word to, to wash over you, if you will. In Acts 3, 15, we see a reference to this. It says, you killed the author of life, that they're talking about Jesus. Peter is speaking to the onlookers. He says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this, he says. In 5.30, it says this, and I have so many of these passages, I'm not going to share them all, but I, I want you to see some of them. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you've killed by hanging him on a tree. Acts 10.40, another reference. This is 39. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They've killed him by hanging him on a tree. This, of course, is talking about Jesus. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. You want one more? Anyone? One more? All right. I'm just going to give it to you anyway, but it's good to have everybody here together. Verse 30 of chapter 13. It says this. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, and I have so many more. This was a central part of the message of the early church. This message should not escape us. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there's no hope for our own resurrection. In times of crisis, in times of trial, in times of mourning, in times of grief, in times of doubt, we need to go back into the scriptures. We need to be reminded of the resurrection of Jesus because that reminds the believer of that we have hope in Jesus because our resurrection is sure because Jesus resurrected for sure. So his resurrection is connected to our future hope and our resurrection. Notice, too, it says in the original passage, I'll flip back to it, Acts 4. Verse 33, that they continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. Was upon them all. For the person today who feels unworthy, maybe you feel stuck spiritually because something you've done in your life, or maybe there's, there's this thing that Satan will not allow you to have erased from your mind. There's grace for you. Philip Yancey, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, he says this, grace means there is nothing more we can do to make God love us more, and grace means there is nothing you can do to make God love us less. Very simply and powerfully put. There's no amount of performing that you can do to make God love you more. And indeed, there's nothing you can do that would make God love you less. 
Eugene O'Neill said it in this way, man is born broken, he lives by mending. The grace of God is the glue. The grace of God is the glue. We live by grace. Grace rooted in the generous heart of God. The next fill in the blank in your info card. There were no needy persons among them from time to time. Those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales. And they put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. The reason why these people are being so generous is because grace was unleashed. Once grace was unleashed, then the the bondage that's associated with belongings and things and money was no longer a stumbling block for them. Instead, they were living in the grace of God, and because they had this newfound grace of God, money didn't have the same cling to their heart. And it was connected to the generous heart of God. God's generosity is in several places. It's within creation. It says this in Psalm 104, 14 through 15. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. God is also generous with his influence. He allows us to shape the culture and allows us to shape the world. He allows us to, to bring about generational blessings to those around us and who would, who would follow us for generations. He allows us this influence. God allows us to show the lost people around us what the kingdom of God is like. This is one of the the, the main reasons why the Sermon on the Mount exists is to glorify God and also to show us what the kingdom of God is like. So we would be dependent on the Spirit of God and then we could embody what what Jesus said in Matthew 5 through 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. Because he has something in mind with us in this day and age that, that allows us and empowers us to have an influence around us. God is generous with his influence. In the early church, one of the most maybe unassuming or unexpecting people to have influence was Peter. And this is what it says of him. You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the, the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Jesus, God, the Spirit of God, is, is generous in sharing their influence. God is also generous with things or possessions. You might be reminded of the passage of Scripture in Psalm 50, 1 through 15. I'm not going to read it, but it's a passage that many of us are familiar with that it talks about go- that God owning the cattle on a thousand hills. That He's generous with things. You see, sharing for us is hard. But being stingy is easy. I tried to get an illustration here. I asked for it online, couldn't find it. I didn't buy one because I didn't know what to do afterward and all that. But the image that comes to mind is the game Hungry Hunger Hippo. Who's ever played that game? Anyone? Anyone? Anyone love to get the aggression out on that little paddle where they're trying to beat their brother or sister? 
I mean, it's, it's exhilarating. It's really good. Get your heart rate up. You don't even have to do cardio if you play the game right. It's just peak. Check your heart rate meter on your phone. You'll be like, wow, 180. This is awesome. I'm done for the day. Find the recliner. Click, right? It's like some of us, we treat everything in life like we're playing the game, hungry, hungry hippo. Like we're trying to just to hit the toggle, hit the toggle, hit the toggle, to get as many marbles, to get as many things, to get as many possessions, to get all of these things, and to get more than other people. It's so easy to hungry, hungry hippo life. It is. We're born with that. We're born with that. All of us receive that at birth. All of us have that. That's a reminder that sin exists and it's woven through all of us. That's why sharing is hard. That's why in and of our own selves, we need to go back to the grace of God and the understanding of our salvation so that the things that we have won't become the things that we, that we love. And that they won't become things that we think we can't live without. So we need the grace of God to come to terms with the fact that sharing is hard and being stingy is easy. It's easy to hoard our time and our money and our energy and our influence. It's easy. It's easier to do that. It's a, it's a work of God that causes us to be generous. When you go into this passage and you look what happened... At the end of verse 34, it says, From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales. This doesn't happen naturally. This happens supernaturally. You see, it's just the gospel that has the power to save a lost soul and also to give us a new heart and a new desire and the Holy Spirit of God to help us not to be so attached to things that we leave God behind. And in having things, that's not the problem. It's when those things have us, that's when it becomes the problem. Because when those things have us, then then we become stingy and we've actually learned the value of those things. You see, desire, the root of desire, allows us to be either fruitful or selfish. Corrupted desire will lead to selfishness. Spirit-informed, spirit-filled lives will lead us to be fruitful. I'll summarize it by saying this. Desire is under control when we acknowledge that all things given to us are provided in order that we might know and trust God. So our desire can go one of two ways. And we know that we can either be selfish or we can be fruitful. And we can gauge this when our desire is under control, when we acknowledge that all things given to us, whether it's influence, whether it's time, whether it's wealth, whether, whatever it is, is, is provided in order that we may know and trust God. Because God was even generous with the gospel. That the one act of unrighteousness through Adam, permeating through all humanity, is affecting us all. 
all of us have a, we're born with a corrupted nature. That's why no Christian should assume that they're better than anyone else. No Christian should assume that they're better than any other Christian or any other non-Christian. Instead, when, when we're looking at, at our lives, we should always go back to the grace of God and say, but by the grace of God, I'd be stuck in, I would be dead in my sins and transgressions. I would be lost. I would have corrupt, I would have nothing but corrupted desires. I would not have a new spirit within me to do right by God. I would not have a heart that is open to God. Instead, I would have a cold, self-centered heart. But because of the gospel, I'm set free from being bound to my sin and shame. That the one, of that, one act of unrighteousness brought sin and destruction to all people, and yet the, the one righteous act of Jesus Christ dying on the cross set us free from sin and shame. Giving is the key to unlock human potential. And this is rooted in God. Giving is the key to unlock human potential. God gave his son. God gives good gifts to his kids. God gives lonely people family. God gives purpose for living. God gives us the sun each day and the moon each night. God gives us a rainbow as a reminder of the promise that he made to Noah still consistent today. God continually is giving us things. He's continually giving life and giving hope and giving peace and giving purpose and giving family and giving grace and giving truth. And it's something so simple as even music is a gift. Because there's very few things in the human experience that can touch the soul like a song. I mean, God gave us the hippopotamus, seriously. Think about that. A hippopotamus. Wow. An animal that's on trend. Some of you will get that later. Hippopotamus. I'm a dad. I, I just, it just comes out sometimes. But God gave us the ability to have and use potential. And when we use that potential unselfishly, we become more and more like him. He gave us the ability to have and to use potential. And when we use that for his purposes and his glory, and we do it unselfishly, we will become more and more like him. Verse 34 through 37, we'll end with this. The grace of giving. The grace of giving. This passage is so good, and I've summarized it with these three points about grace being unleashed, the generous heart of God, which actually gives us the ability to be generous at all or to give it all. And now we talk about the grace of giving. Notice two different references in this passage, one in verse 35. Notice where they brought the money from the sales. They put it at the apostles' feet. And also Joseph, in verse 36 and 37, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he sold a field he owned, and he brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet. There's grace in giving. 
rooted in the generous heart of God because grace has been unleashed. I know giving is one of those things that people don't really like to talk about. But Jesus did. So when we talk about the grace of giving, Jesus said it like this, that giving should be so selfless that when we give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You should be that selfless. Notice the two references that the money was put at the apostles' feet. It was put at their feet because they trusted the God-given leadership who was going to be handling that money. We still model this today by bringing in tithes and offerings into the church. The same principles. Rooted in the Old Testament, generosity, and tithe consistent in the New Testament. Connected to the generous heart of God, and the grace of giving should be done so that you could put it at the apostles' feet, you could give it to God. Don't think that you're giving it to me, because you're not. I have no idea how much you give, what you give, or how often you give. But this is in the scriptures for a reason. And I, I believe one of the reasons why is, is because you see what's happening in the life of the early church, that this irresistible church is taking part and there's such radical generosity that they're okay with just putting their money at the feet of the apostles so they can distribute to those who had need, that they can do that and they can turn away and not wonder where the money's gone or not question where the money's gone or not question if the people receiving the money are actually worthy of getting the money. Instead, they trust God and they trust the God-given leadership. So they put it at the apostles' feet and they turn and walk away and knowing and experiencing the grace of God and now the grace of giving. This would be a great time for me to take an offering, but I'm not going to. I know some of you are like, do it. I'm not. I'm not doing it. And instead, I want to end with this. I love how in this passage, in verse 36, I just read it. I love here where it just gives a testimony of Joseph. It just gives a testimony of of what he did. We don't know who he is, we don't know much about him. But this testimony of what he did in this moment was worthy of putting into the inspired word of God that will be timeless, that will be here forever. He sold a field that he owned and he brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. That's what he did. What a testimony. What a testimony for us if we were to trust God with our wealth and trust God with our influence and trust God with our energy and trust God with our time so much so that we would be a generous person that one day somebody would say something like that of us. That they were so generous, that they were so gracious, that they were so kind, that they were like Jesus.
Let's pray together. Jesus, I'm so inspired by this passage. I'm so inspired because I see the church getting it right. On any given day, we can look at the news or our news feed or the, read the headlines where people just want to point out when the church gets it wrong. But God, we see in passages of Scripture like this and many, many more where the church got it right. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring this. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our counselor. When we don't know what to do or don't know what to say, don't know action to take, but you counsel us, you give us wisdom. Not to just how to handle our money, you do that for sure, but also how we're supposed to use our gifts, how we're supposed to use our time, how we're supposed to use our energy, how we're supposed to use our influence. Jesus, we, we come to you and, and we praise you. We also ask God that you would just bless us with more wisdom, more counsel, more understanding, and allow us to see with fresh eyes your grace. And Jesus, I thank you for loving us first, and I thank you for loving us always. Amen. I don't know where you are spiritually this morning, and maybe, maybe for you, the, you're not even thinking about the, the generosity part of this message. You're kind of stuck on the grace part of it, and you're thinking, how in the world could someone be so loving and caring that Jesus would come to earth and he would die for someone else? that's grace if you're curious about that and you've never given your life to Jesus in a moment we're going to stand and in a moment you have an opportunity to come forward and and to just come and see me or one of the other prayer counselors and just say I want to know Jesus that's what I want you to say to them I want to know Jesus I want to know I want to know this God who who dies for people I want to know this God who who died on a cross, but he also resurrected. I want to know. I want to know him. And maybe for you, you it's, it's not a matter of salvation. Maybe you know Jesus personally, intimately. And maybe you struggle with being generous. And perhaps that's what you need to confess to God, to say, God, I'm stingy. I'm stingy with my time. I'm stingy with my energy. I'm stingy with my gifts. I'm stingy with my home. I'm stingy with my money. And maybe you just need to go to Jesus and confess that, repent of that, and turn away. What's God doing in your heart right now?